0: So I start with A Walk to Remember by Nicholas Sparks, because I have watched the movie probably a hundred times, so (laughs) I knew this story pretty well.
1: Hey readers, I'm Anne Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 335. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, if you haven't ordered your What Should I Read Next reading gear, be sure to check out our new collection. We've got a good-looking, cozy T-shirt, a tote bag perfect for your library haul, and let me tell you, Will and I obsessed over finding a great tote for you. And also, my beloved book darts to mark your favorite passages. Check it out and place your order at modernmrsdarcy.com/store. That's modernmrsdarcy.com/store. <laughs> Readers, so many of us struggle with too many books we want to read, but today's guest actually started reading in two languages to give her more options to choose from. Andrea Medina joins me from Mexico, where, as a young adult, she decided to get accustomed to reading in English as well as her native Spanish, so she could read more books that she knew were never going to be translated. These days, Andrea loves books that linger in her mind, macabre stories that speak to real life, and fictional characters that feel like friends. Perhaps because she has so many options to choose from, Andrea is looking for overlooked titles that might not be on the front shelf of her bookstore, but offer the authentic scenarios and engaging writing she loves so much. Like so many of us, Andrea's reading life was impacted by the pandemic. But after relying on simpler stories with straightforward prose over the past few years, she's ready to step back into reading the complex books she finds herself drawn to most. My goal today is to leave Andrea with recommendations for the evocative tales she wants more of in her reading life right now. Let's get to it. Andrea, welcome to the show.
0: Uh, thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about where you are. Yes, I'm in Chihuahua, uh, just like the dog. <laughs> it's a small city at the north of Mexico.
1: Andrea, what are you up to when you're not reading?
0: Well, I study physics engineer in the university but I work as a quality engineer in an aerospace company. I studied physics because I have always been fascinated by space. Uh, I had my first telescope at 10 years old, and I was fascinated by documentaries about galaxies and stars and black holes. But I ended up working in an aerospace company. Uh, we build helicopters, and I really love my job. It's a really interesting one.
1: Do you even remember... What first got you interested in space?
0: I don't. I just remember since I was little, I loved looking at the moon. My mom uh, saw that and said, you know what, I'm going to buy you a telescope so you can watch it better. And I started watching eclipses. So, yes, it was uh, since really, really little that I started getting interested in space.
1: Is that an interest that we will hear pops up in your reading life?
0: Uh, Actually, no, because... Uh, like so many people in the show says that study literature will make them don't like reading that much. When I study physics, I kind of step away from books about space. Uh, it's a weird stuff that happened, but it did. I have read some space-related books, but I'm not really a big fan of them.
1: You've got plenty else to be interested in. Yep.
0: <laughs> Andrea, tell me a little bit about your reading life. I started reading at middle school. One of my dearest teachers gave us a book each Friday so we can read it on the weekend. And one day I got some tales by Edgar Allan Poe. So (laughs) I was 12 and I was terrified. (laughs) But... (laughs) I also didn't knew that reading could be this exciting. I haven't had this experience before, so after that, I couldn't stop. So there is no one in my family that was a reader, but my mom knew how much I loved it. So she took me to a small bookshop that had really cheap editions of classics. And I remember that I took uh, Romeo and Juliet and Around the World in 80 Days. That was how we all started
1: Oh, I love that. I had a very similar experience. It was in seventh grade that we read The Telltale Heart and The Cask of Amontillado. And part of me thinks, why were we reading that in seventh grade? And yet- (laughs) I don't remember having nightmares. And I I can very clearly remember those classroom discussions. And also, I didn't read scary stuff as a kid. And I didn't know an author could do something like that on the page, especially an author who'd been around for a couple hundred years, because I thought about those as being like, you know, boring and dusty. And that's not how anybody describes Edgar Allan Poe.
0: Yes, exactly. I remember that I was terrified and I... (laughs) But I couldn't stop reading. I was fascinated by how he built the tension, the mystery, how the only thing that I knew similar was movies. But the thing that this could happen in my brain, in my mind, it it was fascinating.
1: That's so funny. I was just reading a book that doesn't have to do with Poe at all. I think it was Abby Jimenez's new one, Part of Your World. But one of the characters describes audiobooks as a movie for your brain. And that's what (laughs) I'm thinking of now as you're talking about the excitement you had with encountering these new stories as a child.
0: Yes, I was really exciting.
1: So that was how it all started. Now, Andrea, so tell me what happened next as you got older as a reader.
0: Uh, well, after that, I started reading everything I could. But as I said, uh, Chihuahua is a really small town, so we had a very limited options. So I started watching YouTube videos about books, but they were recommending books that were not translated in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know what, if I can watch YouTube videos in English, and I took years of English in middle school and high school... I bet I can read a whole book. So I start with A Walk to Remember by Nicholas Sparks because I have watched the movie probably a hundred times, so <laughs> I knew this story pretty well. And another reason that I started reading in English was because we only have like three big bookstores and one small public library, so I needed to buy most of my books on Internet, so it was easy for me to find them. In English. How long ago did you read A
1: Walk to Remember?
0: A long time ago, probably starting in high school, maybe.
1: So it's easier to find books in English?
0: At first, it was uh, quite difficult because I only, I'm really good at hearing English. I'm not that great uh, speaking it, I think, uh, but I wanted to step up the game and start reading it. And like I said, I start with books that I knew the story and then. I found it more easy to to read nonfiction books. I don't know why the the language is more easy or is more day to day kind of language, so it was easy for me to understand it. And after that, I, I uh, start reading more novels and more fiction. When I finished school, I stopped taking English classes. So I think reading in English has uh, have helped me to keep learning and to keep increasing my vocabulary and and learning.
1: Andrea, tell me a little more about what your reading life is like
0: right now. Well, uh, the pandemic kind of changed my reading life a little bit. Uh, Last year, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and I started taking meds. While they changed my life completely for the good, I found it more difficult to concentrate. I think it was because I was used to read with all... My thoughts and worries and anxieties always at the back of my head. So in a way, they kept me alert and awake. But when I started taking meds, my head kind of cleared up. Uh So when I tried to read those first months after taking meds, I was falling asleep while reading and I could not concentrate because I was so relaxed and at peace (laughs) that I couldn't concentrate. So
1: I mean, that's a wonderful problem to have, but I see how it made reading very (laughs) difficult.
0: Also, in the past, I was used to read three or four books at a time, and now I cannot do that. I can't. I have to read uh, one book and finish it and then start a new one. But uh, I can't keep up with more than one book. I'm
1: wondering if that's something that you noticed right away, or it took you some time to figure out? Like I know in my own reading life and in talking to other readers, sometimes we know there's a problem, but we can't put our finger on why for a really long time. And I'm wondering what that process of realization looks like for you.
0: Yeah, It took me, I will say a month or two to understand what was happening. At first, I thought it just were just the meds. But after that, I realized that I was using reading as an escape also for my anxiety, also for, for learning and relaxing and because I love reading. It is my hobby, but I was also using it as an escape for the anxiety. So when the anxiety stopped, I had to discover or rediscover my life as a reader. Yeah. Well, thank you for
1: letting me be a part of that rediscovery process. How has what you have enjoyed reading or find, found yourself drawn to reading changed since going on the anxiety meds?
0: I had to... Start reading more, I don't want to say easier books, more fast paced kind of books. I like to read books that made me think think and stop and process the information, look at myself, at the word. But after taking meds, I have to go a little bit easy on me Mm -hmm. and start reading more comfortable books.
1: Like that has less complex prose.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Okay, so more straightforward text. And like you talked about how the nonfiction is easier for you to understand. And we, we don't think that that's like be, being mean to the book to call that easy. <laughs> it's just about how the difficulty of interpreting it. Exactly. Excellent. You mentioned that now that you're more used to the medication, you're interested in going back to more complex books. That you think you're ready for that now?
0: I think I am. I slowly started uh reading more complex books, and I think I'm uh-huh. um, getting used to the medication. So I would like to to go back to that kind of books.
1: Have you had any successes or struggles recently in your movement towards reading more like what you used to read? I imagine, just books with more complexity.
0: One of the latest books that I started is Human Acts by Hank Kang. Uh-huh. I found it difficult, but not impossible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> was that good or was that a little too much?
0: No, it, it was great. Oh, okay. it, it is. I have really been enjoying it. It's complex in a sense of the topic that it's talking about. And the fact that it's translated from Korean is also a challenge. It's translating from Korean and I'm, I'm reading it in English. It adds a little bit of complexity to it.
1: Andrea, I can't wait to hear more about the specifics of what you've been enjoying. Are you ready to talk about your favorites? I'm ready. Wonderful. Well, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you loved, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we'll talk about what you may enjoy reading next. How did you choose these titles today?
0: I tried to choose one of my favorite genre, one of the book that I cannot stop thinking about it, and one book that it's my absolutely favorite. So it can represent my my reading life at its best. What are we starting with? All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Dore. It's set in Paris in World War II. It's about a blind girl who learns to move around the neighborhood thanks to a model that her father builds her, and an orphan that becomes an expert in fixing and building radios and how their lives interwave. I had to pick this one because historical fiction is one of my favorite genres. It's the one that I always go to when I'm in a reader's blog. I have always been bad at history classes in middle school and in high school. In my head, all the historical events get always mixed up. And after the test, I will always forget almost everything. (laughs) But with this kind of books, I discovered that I really enjoy learning about places and people and how life was during the occupation and what happened to ordinary people, that kind of stuff. So I really, really enjoyed historical fiction.
1: That sounds incredible. So historical fiction is your favorite? Yes, it is. Okay, we will keep that in mind. Andrea, tell me about another book you love.
0: The second book that I chose is Hurricane Season by Fernanda Melchor. It starts when a group of children find the corpse of the witch of the town. And the story is told through the voice of different narrators. They are either suspects of the crime or they just knew the witch. It it is told in a very interesting way, but... The reason that I choose this book is because it is by far the most terrifying book that I have ever read. Uh, Not because it's horror, but in the sense that it made me feel so uncomfortable. It's really brutal. It's violent. There were moments that I wanted to stop reading it because it was too much. But what kept me going was that I knew it wasn't far from reality. Maybe not my reality, but someone's. And I remember you said in an episode that... The reason that we read is because we are never going to experience every experience possible in the world. But books can teach us or can take takes us somewhere similar and expand our vision of the world. So that is why I love this book, because it made me think of how different life can be. It is a great book. And the characters are most tangible. I had to remind myself that it was fiction because sometimes I feel like I was reading the news. So it is beautifully reading.
1: Oh, okay. That is a tough one that goes, I think, straight back to your 12-year-old introduction to Edgar Allan Poe. That is a hard, hard book, and yet you really loved it.
0: When I finished it, I was, oh, I'm glad I finished it. I don't want to hear again about it because it it, is really brutal. it's, It's a difficult book, but weeks passed, And I couldn't stop thinking about it, and I couldn't stop recommending it to other people and reflecting about the lives of the people of the book. So uh, that's why I had to, to add it in my favorite books.
1: Andrea, did you read this one in the original Spanish or in translation? In Spanish. Okay. Andrea, what did you choose to complete your favorites?
0: Yes, my third book, and I think I would say this is my favorite books by far, is The Anthropocene Review by John Green. This is his first nonfiction book. It's a collection of essays in which he reviews, and rate different facets of human life in a five-star scale. It goes from reviewing the best hot dog he has ever eaten and the Madagascar movie, all the way through Sunsets and his favorite song. But what I love so much about this book is that he made me feel like my experiences were not that much different from other people. I think that sometimes, especially because of, of the anxiety, I I feel like I'm the only one struggling with my thoughts and with everything in their circumstances. This is going to sound dramatic, but while talking about everyday things, John Green made me feel my humanity and made me feel part of something bigger. I'm not the kind of person that cries with with books, but this did make me cry a couple of times. I felt seen. And because John is an expert in writing about ordinary stuff in the most poetic way that I have ever read.
1: Andrea, the way you described this, you just said he's reviewing things like hot dogs.
0: It's (laughs) a hot dog eating
1: contest, I think. And sunsets, which sounds comical almost. But having read this recently myself, I was really surprised at how tender and poignant so many of these essays were, even when he's writing about something like wintry mix, the Midwestern terrible weather phenomenon that I think he gave four stars because of the love he has for his wife and his family, Mm -hmm. not about the horrid Midwestern weather.
0: I wasn't expecting that. Yes, that's what I love because he takes the most Random things, translate them into something he loves or something that makes us more humans. I don't know. I I really enjoyed every single essay in this book.
1: Andrea, tell me about a book that wasn't right for you.
0: Okay. The book that wasn't for me is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo Hugo, by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Where do I start?
1: <laughs> well, I know you love historical fiction and that's what this is. So I imagine that yes. this has to do with style and tone. And I'm I'm so curious.
0: I think I couldn't enjoy this book because Evelyn uh, kind of plain to me. I know we are supposed to see her as a very complex character that was very decisive about what she wanted to accomplish in life, but still very profound feelings. But I couldn't see that. And I think the... Character is really important for me uh, while reading a book. And uh, I did not felt empathy <laughs> towards her or any character. Or did I not care what happened to her? So I just couldn't see them as real people. And I think that is uh, very important to me. Uh, I also felt it very repetitive with each husband and very predictable. So I just finished it because I don't like to give up on books. But... <laughs> I could have left it after the first chapter.
1: (laughs) Well, something I'm noticing is that the tone of this book is very different than all the books you've said that you've loved or been reading lately. And I'm also wondering, I don't think this is an impenetrable barrier for readers, but I'm noticing the difference between this book and All the Light We Cannot See. So in All the Light We Cannot See, you are completely immersed in the story world in the setting of pre-World War II and World War II, France and Germany. But The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo goes back and forth in time. You have a contemporary storyline and then you keep visiting the past, but then you pop back into the present day. And I'm wondering if you might've felt like you got to know Evelyn better if you'd gotten to go to the past and stay in the past.
0: I'm just working out a theory. What do you think? That sounds quite correct. That's probably why I, I didn't like her that much.
1: I don't think you would need a book that only has one timeline to get to know the characters. But what I do hear you saying is you do want a book where you feel like you you do really get to know the characters.
0: Yes, I think that's really important for me while reading. When I finish the book, I want to feel like I lost a friend. Closing the book, I want to feel that I know what is happening to them after that last line. So I want to feel like they are real people that's what i love the most about the characters in books
1: and i think that level of believability is also important not for all of your books obviously cuz you know you love poe and it sounds like you're really drawn to some books in the horror genre but when you were talking about hurricane season you said that you felt like you were reading the news like it was that immersive and it felt possible exactly what have you been reading lately andrea
0: Lately, I starred uh, Thousand Splendid Sons by Khaled Hossini. This is the second book of him that I read. And again, I'm really enjoying it because the characters feel so personal and so well-built. I have really liked that.
1: Are you reading that in Spanish or in English?
0: In Spanish. And I just finished Know My Name by Chanel Miller. I really loved the way she writes. The way she describes her experiences made us part of what happened to her. I really enjoyed it.
1: Andrea, what are you looking for in your reading life right now?
0: Like I said, I want to go back to more complex kind of books, but I also would like to start reading something that is not on everyone's reader. I usually look for books on Instagram or TikTok or Goodreads even, but I would like to give it an opportunity to books that I know. I know there are books out there that are great, but they are not receiving the attention that they deserved. For example, uh, a Hurricane Season, I think it's not on everyone's radar, but it, it was a great book. So I would like something like that.
1: Okay, we'll see what we can do. Andrea, the books you loved All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Dorr, Hurricane Season by Fernanda Meltor and The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. Not Right for You was The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. You really want to get to know the characters, the protagonists, deeply in your books. So we'll keep that in mind moving forward. And lately, you've been reading, uh, you mentioned Human Acts by Hong Kong, Know My Name by Chanel Miller, and A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khaled Hosseini. And we're looking for more complex books than the faster-paced books that you were reading earlier in the pandemic when you were adapting to new meds. And we're looking for books that are not on everyone's radar. And we're definitely keeping in mind your preferences for what kinds of books you like to read in which language. I have some ideas. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, first of all, I'm thinking about a nonfiction book that you may enjoy reading in English, and just really thinking about what you enjoyed specifically about The Anthropocene Reviewed and the kind of books that you mentioned that you've read in English recently. So having read The Anthropocene Reviewed, both because you enjoyed that book and also because John Green frequently mentions his friend, Amy Krauss-Rosenthal in the pages and cites her directly. It might be in the very beginning. I know he says in it, The Anthropocene Reviewed is his attempt to follow the advice of his friend, Amy Krauss-Rosenthal. And what she said was, pay attention to what you pay attention to. So I'm thinking about a work by Amy Krauss-Rosenthal. Have you read anything by her?
0: No, I have not.
1: Okay, good. I'm excited. There's two specifically that come to mind. The first is called Encyclopedia of an Ordinary Life. And I think it's the one that most closely resembles the Anthropocene-reviewed in structure. But the one I think I want to point you to first is called Textbook, which is kind of a play on words. So A textbook is the thing you get in school that takes you through a subject, often boring chapter by boring chapter. But she kind of plays with that idea and says, this is also a book of text, of of texts from my life specifically. The format of this book is really fun. Like you feel like you're getting a, a textbook or almost like a high school or college syllabus. It opens with suggested reading that then says, this book, you know, keep going. And the contents are introduced in a way that looks like a curriculum for a class like you take in high school. You have your pre-assessment and then your units are geography and social studies and art and science and romance languages and history. And she works in a midterm essay and a final review. But with that structure, she tells stories about her life, talking about, um, small moments that meant a lot to her are musing on various coincidences that have happened in her life that made her feel like maybe the world was on her side and there's a little bit of magic in the air. And she talks about her dreams and she talks about special relationships. And it's all laid out in a very interesting form with lots of white space. And something else she does is send you out into the world for an experiential component. Like, this is going to sound so strange out of context, but something she does is she she directs you towards a recording of the sound of a humming wine glass, like the noise it makes when somebody runs their finger around the rim. And she talks about technology a lot in this book, which I think is why she's bringing in that experimental element. But I think these stories of human experience, human connection that are told in a relatable really life-affirming way, I think might hit the same notes that the John Green nonfiction did for you. How does that sound? It sound, sounds great. Good. I hope so. It's not a short book, but it's one you could read quickly because there is so much white space. I hope if you enjoy it, you'll go back and read more of her nonfiction.
0: I probably add it to my list right now.
1: <laughs> okay, good, good, good. I'm happy to hear it. Okay. That was Textbook by Amy Krauss Rosenthal. Next, I'm thinking of a short story collection that has serious vibes of Edgar Allan Poe, Shirley Jackson... Now, I have a little bit of hesitation about a short story collection because you really like to get to know your protagonists, and I think you might feel wrenched away from them many times throughout the book because that's how short story collections work. On the other hand, you're so deeply immersed in the world because I think, again, you could almost feel like you were reading the news that it could be a really good fit for you. This is a collection by the Argentinian writer Mariana Enriquez, and it's called Things We Lost in the Fire. Is this a book you know?
0: It's a book I know. It's on on my wish list, but I haven't read it. Is it really? Yes, it is, but I haven't read it.
1: I think it's promising that this is already on your wish list. So Enriquez is an Argentinian writer. This is She's written for decades, I think, at this point. But this is her first book to be published in English, which, Andrea, I imagine you're going to be picking this up in Spanish. Was that your intention with this book? I'd be interested in knowing.
0: Yes, I was going to read it in, in Spanish.
1: Okay. Um, She grew up in Argentina. Um, She was there during the years of what was known as the Dirty War, which ended when she was 10. But that was a horrific war that had deep effects on her. And like definitely, you can see the reflections of um, those experiences in her stories. And also, writing-wise, she's often described as being in the tradition of Argentinian fabulists including like Jorge Luis Borges is the best known these writers really loved a good macabre story so her collection blends horror crime a little bit of fantasy while feeling very realistic these are hard stories they're a little bit or maybe a lot gruesome Also, they're very much akin to hurricane season, I think, in tone and description and content. So I'm not worried about this being too much for you. But listeners, I want you to hear these are hard (laughs) stories. And some of the visuals in this book are very intentionally grim. But, oh, the content is so fascinating and so difficult and human at the same time. Like one reviewer described these stories as spookily clear eyed, which I just love that description. But there's a story called Under the Black Water, which is about a district attorney who's chasing a witness, but she can't go any further because the cab driver won't enter the slum. So she gets out and she makes her way on foot to try to pursue the witness and comes upon what is considered to be the most polluted river in the world the atmosphere and visuals and symbolism in this story as she like wades into the actual dirtiest river in the world. I I think you're really going to, I don't know if enjoy is the right word for a story like that, but I think you are going to have a wonderful reading experience in that story. There's another one called The Dirty Kid. It's the opener. And I think it's going to grab you right from the beginning. You mentioned that you could have stopped the book that you didn't care for after the first chapter, I think the first story in this is going to draw you in because you feel like you are right there watching this dirty kid in the subway trying to shake hands with people who don't want to shake hands with him. And the story of how he got there and what he's doing, I think this could be for you. How does that sound?
0: Sounds fantastic. Like I said, it's in my TBR since a long time ago and maybe it's time to pick it up. I hope so.
1: Andrea, there's something I want to take a chance on, but I'm not sure if it's going to work. I'm going to describe it to you, and you can tell me what you think. Okay. My hesitation is with the language. Uh, And the book that I think could be perfect for you or also could be all wrong is The Governesses by Anne Serre. This is a French novel. Um, she's been writing, again, for decades. It's, an, it's not new, but it wasn't translated into English until 2018, almost uh, 20 years after it was written. Now, listeners, if you're thinking, this is ringing a bell, um, it means you've been listening to What Should I Read Next for a long time. My friend Mel Wan of Strong Sense of Place podcast convinced me to read this super short French novel. I, I think it would fairly be called a novella. In episode 219, that one's called Required Reading Revisited. She described it as a naughty fairy tale. It is a lush story with uh, gothic vibes about three mysterious sisters. These are the governesses who dwell in an isolated mansion behind a golden gate. They are ever watchful that an unsuspecting man will stumble upon the garden path that they may first bewitch and then their word devour him. I thought this was a lot more gruesome than fairy tale makes it sound. But the reason I like this for you is I think it has a lot of elements that you really enjoy. It's got that unexpected macabre element. It does really interesting. This does not feel like watching the news, but it does feel like a fable in the same way that the stories we just discussed do. I like it because it's so different than almost anything else. I remember one reviewer described it as being just completely different than anything else that exists. Like, like where does this story come from? There is no derivative. That it's prim and racy, seriously weird and seriously excellent, a John Waters sex farce told with the tact and formality of a classic French fairy tale. And I think that could be exciting for you. I'm thinking of you reading Poe for the first time at age 12 and how that just felt like literary excitement. And I think this could be the same. Okay, but we're talking about a French novel translated into English. It's short, but also this is not what you typically pick up in English. And I want to know how that sounds for you.
0: It sounds like a challenge, but it also sounds really interesting. So I think I could give it a shot, probably with a dictionary next to me. But
1: (laughs) (laughs) our conversation is bringing back memories of me reading Bridget Jones's diary in German, because that's what I studied in school. In German, all the nouns are capitalized. And I didn't know any of the British names, but of course the names would be capitalized along with the nouns. And I kept looking up words in the dictionary and not finding them. And I wasn't sure if it was because my dictionary was too small or if because you can't find a definition for like Andrea Mm -hmm. in the dictionary because they're proper names and that's not how dictionaries work. (laughs) Your English is a lot better than my German was. I'm not too worried about you.
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, I'm interested in hearing how that goes for you. Of the books we talked about today, we talked about Textbook by Amy Krauss Rosenthal, Things We Lost in the Fire, the story collection by Mariana Enriquez, and The Governesses by Anne Sayre. Of those books, what do you think you'll pick up next?
0: Oh, I don't know how people can choose just one for the (laughs) show. (laughs) It's quite difficult. But I think I'm going with Textbook by Amy Cross Rosenthal. Uh, you describe it beautifully, so I really wanted to to try it out and and see how it goes.
1: I'm so excited to hear what you think. Thank you so much for talking books with me today, and thanks so much for sharing the story about how uh, books and literary discussion led you to learn English. My daughter really wants my Spanish to get better, and I think after we hang up, we're going to go have a conversation about watching. <laughs> We've been watching a little bit of The Good Place in Spanish, but maybe we can add some book videos to our repertoire, too, because I'm more familiar with that language, I think.
0: Yeah, it's something that I will recommend to someone that is learning a new language uh, to read it in a book in the language you're learning really helps a lot. And I think it helps me improve my English a little bit. Yeah.
1: And also watching some content that you really care about.
0: Yes. also.
1: Thanks so much for coming on, Andrea. Uh,
0: Thank you for having me. It was a delight.
1: Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Andrea and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. Visit our show notes page to connect with Andrea on Instagram and find the full list of titles we talked about today. That's at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 335. If you love our show, thank you and thanks for listening. To get even more bookish delight in your life, sign up for our weekly email. Each Tuesday, I'll show up in your inbox to share three things I'm loving, one thing I'm not, and a quick note on what I've been reading lately. Plus a peek at what's happening on the show. Sign up today at What Should I Read Next, slash newsletter. And be sure you're following us on Instagram at What Should I Read Next. I'm on there with my personal account at Ann Bogle. That is and with an E. E is in books, O-G-E-L. We always enjoy connecting with other readers on social media, and I'd love to see you there. Make sure you're following in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next week when I'll be talking with a dedicated audiobook listener who's eager to fill her earbuds with summer listening recommendations. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellum Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee,